The Golf.com podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code GOLFING at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code GOLFING for $20 off your first purchase. We missed an entire generation thinking that Tiger Woods was going to pick up the entire game of golf, put it on his shoulders, and send it to someplace it's never been before. That generation now has their own children, and golf is cool for them. They have players, and they've seen what Tiger did. And they've got people like Jordan Spieth and Jason Day and Rory McIlroy and Ricky Fowler. And they do think they're cool. And, and but, you know, the same for the girls. You've got Lydia Coe and you've got Stacey Lewis and Michelle Wee and, and Jessica Corda and all these players that have made golf cool for these kids. And I think we're, we're going to get that generation back because of their kids. Greetings and welcome back to another Golf.com podcast where we bring you interviews and insights from the wide world of golf. I'm Alan Bastable and on today's episode, I'm pleased to bring you my interview with the newest member of the CBS Sports golf team, Dottie Pepper. Pepper won 17 times on the LPGA Tour, including a pair of majors, before transitioning to television in 2004. As an analyst for ESPN, NBC, and the Golf Channel, she quickly developed a reputation for her work ethic, preparedness, and shrewd and concise insights. NBC golf producer Tommy Roy once said of Pepper, quote, you could take her work and make a how-to tape for future broadcasters. Just earlier this month, CBS announced that Pepper would fill the vacancy created by David Faraday's rather surprising departure from the network's golf team. CBS Sports chairman Sean McManus said of Pepper's hiring that she was, quote, the first and only analyst we considered for the job. Pepper is good with a mic, and she can also handle a pen. She has written for Sports Illustrated and ESPN, among many other outlets, and she has even authored two children's books, Bogey Tees Off and Bogey Balton's Night Before Christmas. She joins us on the line from her home in Saratoga Springs, New York. Okay, Dottie, so a little-known fact about you. Your, your father, Don, actually played four games for the Detroit Tigers back in 1966. This tells, yeah. this tells me that you must be well-versed in baseball, which tells me you should have a hunch about who's going to win the World Series. Please <laughs> enlighten us. Well, uh, I can talk baseball reasonably well. Uh, I was a baseball baby. My, I was actually born, and I don't think my dad saw me for 10 days or so because he was... Um, Playing minor league ball, he spent uh, spent a lot of time in Toledo. I still follow the Mud Hens. He still goes to games. Uh, so I am a, I'm a pretty loyal American leaguer. So I'm going to say the Royals in six. Oof, that's the wrong answer, but ah! uh, we're we're off, we're off to a rough start here. But uh, <laughs> let's let's move on to golf because clearly your your baseball knowledge is is, is not what I thought. Apparently not. <laughs> okay. So uh, as I mentioned in the intro, obviously the big news uh, for you in the last few weeks, uh, CBS has appointed you to fill uh, David Faraday's uh, role at, at CBS. Um, uh, you know, I know many times you, you've said just in the past few weeks that you have no intention of trying to, to fill David Faraday's shoes, um, that you're going to, you know, uh, bring your own mojo to the job. But, but 
But replacing such a high profile and beloved broadcaster, does that add any pressure to uh, to what lies ahead? I suppose, I suppose it'd be inaccurate if, if I said no. Uh, yeah, those are big, big shoes to fill. But I also, um, I, I just, I, I'm just going to be myself. And it's like I told everyone when I went to CBS to, to speak with them in person, I, I'm not funny, but I'll, I'll work extremely hard. And that's kind of been my, my mantra from, from the very beginning is I, I, um, I like I don't like surprises. Let's let's put it that way. I like to be prepared, and then then you can throw anything at me, uh, and 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 I'm 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 fine. But I, I just um, I, I don't have the humor that that David had. Um, but I don't have his accent either, so I don't sound like him. I don't look like him. Uh, there's not much similarities, but I, I feel extraordinarily uh, blessed and fortunate to have um, stepped into this position, and I. Can't wait for January. When you heard that Faraday was leaving, was it, uh, you know, did you sort of perk up and, and think, ooh, I, I could maybe do that job? Or, or did you not get interested until CBS approached you? Well, CBS had approached me a couple of weeks prior to David announcing that he wasn't coming back. So it was my understanding that CBS was just going to add a third walker in, in, the, in the way that NBC and ESPN have done uh, golf on television with, with three walking, somebody with the leader, someone up, somebody's hot, somebody else probably with this, with a penultimate group. Uh, and then the day that Faraday announced that he wasn't coming back, my phone blew up and all of a sudden I got really smart. <laughs> I figured out what was actually going on. Right. So, um, yeah, I think, I think the, the direction of the, the talks, my, my, sort of um, aha moment about what this was really all about came about then. Uh, and then you start thinking about the realities of it and, and uh, what I had with ESPN, my loyalty to who are still my employer uh, and how to handle that properly because it, it came very clear very quickly that this was not your average business deal. This was a people deal. And I have people that I love to work with at ESPN, people that I love to work for at ESPN, and this opportunity at CBS was going to be maybe a once-in-a-lifetime or so. I was really, really lucky that the folks at ESPN had the faith in me to honor what I already had with them, but encouraged me to go down the road with the with this unbelievably great new opportunity. Right, but so you you'll be wearing two hats uh, next year, right? You you do have uh, some more assignments from ESPN. Two different shirts, two different hats, two different rain suits, whatever it might yeah. be, yes. Uh, I'm just trying to keep the alphabet suit sort of straight, yes. And how long, now you've, you've as I mentioned, you've, you've worked on a few different broadcast teams now. How long yeah. does it typically take you to, to feel comfortable on a new squad? I mean, you obviously have to, have to learn the ins and outs, get used to, get used to a new producer, uh, develop some rapport with, with the other broadcasters and analysts. How long does that typically take? It takes a while. What I'm, in fact, I just got off the phone with Lance Barrow about an hour ago, and we were talking about the beginning of the year and, and things that I uh, was hopeful he would be encouraging of, and chiefly to let me go to San Diego early so I can sit in the truck Thursday and Friday 
and understand how CBS takes information in, how they process it and send it back out. Uh, sort of how the baton gets passed as you get tidbits coming in and players playing well and how they call out to go to break. I mean, all these other things that I spent time in the trucks at Golf Channel. I did the same thing at NBC and I did the same thing at ESPN. And that helped me enormously to understand how just the process of how they take in that information, how it goes back out to the viewer and the speed of the show. Uh, that, that I think is really important as well. But it'll take me a, it'll take me a while. Uh, and, and I think it will take me a, a decent amount of time because it is only, with the exception of the Masters and the PGA Championship, it's just weekends. So I, I need to I need to really work hard at the very beginning just to get the sense of the flow and the timing of the shows. Yeah. So so you will be working a reduced schedule because it wasn't that, it wasn't that long ago that you that you retired from from broadcasting. I think at the time you said for that reason, it was just sort of the, the, the grind of being on the road, you know, right. living out of a suitcase for 32 weeks a year. Um, obviously that retirement didn't last very long. Was that just, was it just the, the, the pull of, of getting back into it was so strong or, or was, was there another reason why you, you, you got I think over the course of these last three years, I've, I've been now with the, the PGA for coming up on three years. So my, my term will be ending. And honestly, that had a lot more travel in it than I had anticipated at the, at the very beginning. And, you know, this, this three year away from full-time golf, um, did a couple of things. I went through the whole process. I was very much entertaining, even up to a year ago, the, the very real possibility of buying the best florist in Saratoga Springs and owning that shop and calling a little bit of golf for ESPN. And that was going to be my, that was going to be my life. Um, and then the landscape changed. <laughs> Not only going through the whole exercise of owning that business, but as NBC uh, got the rights to the Open Championships starting in 17 and then to go to 16, and not being on the air as much uh, live golf, it really made me realize that that's what I like to do. I like to call live golf. Studio stuff's great. And I enjoy that because you've got to be short, you've got to be concise, you've got to stay on point. But I really missed being out uh, on the turf and, and watching shots uh, and, and that, all of that that goes into that. So to have this come around when it did was somewhat ridiculous. It really was. Yeah. It, it, what is it specifically? Do you get, do you get, you get a rush from it? Like what, what is it about calling live golf that, that, uh, that really sort of moves you? Well, I, I think you could um, ask anybody who has played any sport at the highest level, and then they get to call it and still feel that rush. Uh, and to me, it, it's it's I got a great amount of satisfaction as a player knowing that I was prepared to do well, and I still get that same as an announcer knowing that I've I've done my homework. Anything can be thrown at me, and I'm and I'm going to be all right. Um, and, and that's sort of it. I mean, when I put the belt on every day to go out and call live golf, I still get a little, you know, the, the butterflies are still a little there, and it's even more so in a major championship. Um, I don't sleep well the night before a major. And, and same thing this past year at the Open Championship. It, that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and I really did miss it. And I knew I was going to miss a lot of it because of the way that landscape had changed. Sports have become a huge aspect of our collective culture. 
It's the one weekly live event that you can't stream later or watch on demand with the same effect. This desire to be part of a collective action is one reason fantasy sports has grown so much. But a lot of people don't play it because a whole season is too long of a commitment. FanDuel changes all that, and if you've ever wanted to try it out, use my code GOLFING at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. They will pay out over $75 million a week this football season. Entry fees start at just $1, so there's a league for everyone. Over 1 million players have won money playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Now it's your turn. If you're watching the games anyway, try out FanDuel. It turns your NFL Sunday into a whole new experience. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use the code GOLFING and sign up now. Here's that special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks that gets earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. The offer is only good for the first 50 people that use the code GOLFING today, so don't get left out. FanDuel also offers daily fantasy baseball, basketball, and hockey. Find out why daily fantasy sports have gotten so popular and do it on FanDuel.com with our code GOLFING. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. So speaking of major championships, so you, you, will, be, you will be calling the Masters, which will be kind of a historic moment. Uh, come April, uh, do you do you obviously Augusta has now accepted uh, three female members in recent years, but becoming the first woman to to quote unquote call a Masters, do you do you feel do you, do you think you'll feel like a, a trailblazer in any sense, or will you just treat it like I, any other week? Not my favorite word, yeah. um, and I, I I look at it as not uh, being the first female to do this, I, and I. You know, I've, I've been at the Masters. I've done Sports Center there for the last couple of years right. and, and really enjoyed it. I've played Augusta National. I've, I've walked it, I can't tell you how many times. Um, it does, as a fan, uh, when I was in college, I uh, just ended up with, with two tickets and was so excited to get down there. I got down, down there before darn gates even opened. So um, I, I look at it with that same sort of excitement. And I, I'm looking at as as a broadcaster and who and who would not want to have this opportunity, male or female? I, I just, I, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, obviously for January, but for that, uh, that week in April is going to be pretty cool. Do you know when you're uh, when you'll receive your whole assignment? Nope, that usually happens from what I'm told uh, shortly before the tournament starts. But I, I don't know. None of those assignments have been officially made yet. Okay, because at Faraday, well, historically, he's traditionally been on 15, I think, right? Faraday was at 15, that's correct. Yeah, okay. Um, Tommy Roy, who was your producer at NBC, he once said about you, quote, the great thing about Dottie is not many players could come over from the LPGA and analyze in a critical way how the PGA Tour players uh, mm -hmm. play and still be respected by those players. Uh do you think that's true? I mean, it, would male pros typically have have a hard time being critiqued by a by a female analyst? Well, I think if your credentials can speak on their own, and, and I think mine are okay. Certainly, I, I could have been better, but I, but I'm also I'm 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 still very much a student of the game, and, and I think that that garners a little bit of respect as well. You know, I, I worked with 
program at the end of my career, and I learned so much about the golf swing, whether it be male or female, from him. Had a chance to spend some time with Butch and and um, and Billy as well, and and I think I, I think that helped me as well because I, I I think I do have a pretty good command of the golf swing, and you know, a, a good golf shot's a good golf shot, and a bad golf shot's a bad golf shot, no matter who hits it. And if you have I think the credentials to, to call it as it is an understanding of the mechanics and understanding of the psychological process of what it takes to play great competitive golf, let alone major championship golf. And I think it's really important that you've actually, actually not done well at some times too, so that you don't come across as thinking this game is easy because it's not. Uh, so, so I, I, I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that that's where, where Tommy was going with that, and, and I'm pretty confident that's where he was going with it, that, you know, there's there's a combination of of credentials, of study, of just having been there in, in good and bad, and that crosses that, that, that gender line. Yeah, but, but do you feel, I, you know, you, you've obviously established uh, a reputation. I think you're pretty much universally uh, praised as a great analyst. Uh, Judy Rankin would certainly fall into that category. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you feel women generally have been given enough of an opportunity in, in, in golf broadcasting? I, I, don't, I don't know if, it's, if that's, that's for me to say. I, I said, I, you know, I, I had a great opportunity, and, and Judy certainly did too, back starting in 1984 at the U.S. Women's Open Salem. It was her first first opportunity, and, and I, I, she's told me stories about just how frightened she was and how this was all so new, and that she was bound and determined to be the best she could be, period. Uh, and, and I think that's that's what I've sort of modeled uh, my plan B career, I guess, if you want to call it that after that, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's for me, me to say, I mean, there, there's an awful lot of good analysts on golf channel covering the LPGA events. And, and, um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough when I worked for them to, to not just work men's or women's events. I worked them all. I worked seniors. I worked to juniors. I, I worked all of them. And I think that was a, that was a great, um, that was a, a great thing that they had the trust in me to do that. And, and I think it helped long term. I know, I know Judy Rankin has been a mentor of yours. Uh, what, you know, either from, from Judy or from anybody else, when you were coming up the ranks in broadcasting, was there any sort of guiding principles uh, you were given or any piece of advice that has sort of stuck with you through the years about well, how to do the job? My, my first event, and she encouraged this to happen, was with ESPN at the 1999 U.S. Women's Amateur at Biltmore Forest in Asheville. And I, I, I won a major championship four months earlier or whatever, five months earlier. And she said, I think you'd like this. She said, I, I'm going to, you know, it's not very far from your home. Well, I'm going to come stay with you, and, and I think you'd, you'd be okay at this. So I asked her over the dinner table all week long every question possible. And again, when I was hired by NBC to start covering PGA Tour events, I asked her again, I said, you know, what can you pass along? And she said, you know, you're probably going to be their third walker, so make whatever you say count. Be concise, get in and get out. And she also, you know, she's incredibly prepared, but she also goes by the mantra all the time to say the most you can in the least amount of words. And that has always rung for me. 
And how how do you go about doing that? I mean, are, are you? That's easier said than done. I mean, I know <laughs> even doing this podcast sometimes I'd like to be a little bit more concise, but is it is it something you're uh, you know you're thinking about making a point and then you try to just kind of reduce it in your head before you say it? I, I think you run it through a, a very uh, skinny filter, and and how can I best say this in maybe six or seven seconds because. That's about the time that it takes from a golf shot to be struck to the time it hits the ground. So that's really your only, and you don't want to talk over that shot. You want to set it up and get out and then watch, let, let the, the folks at home watch what they're wanting to watch. They, they want to watch great golf in, in the best theater possible. And, and it's hard to do if you're talking a lot. The, uh, the the 2005 U.S. Open, I think, was your is that your first major that you called? Uh, it was right? my first men's open. First men's open, okay, and and I think you walked you walked in with Michael Campbell. That's and, uh, correct. Uh, and that was pro. I, I imagine at the time that was that was sort of your biggest moment in broadcasting. Did that did it feel like it at the time? Did it? Uh, you know, what what are your recollections from that? No, oh, it, it definitely was um, at, at that moment. Uh, here, here's what I remember: Tiger Woods was was behind Michael and making a, a really good move on Sunday, and it was the noise that I remember most because I had asked. I Saturday I had gotten distracted a little bit because the noise was so big. You know, the holes at at Pinehurst are very close together coming in, and I had asked for a second earpiece uh, to be just in my left ear. I'm, I'm a, I wear the cup on my right ear, and I asked for a second earpiece, um, just a molded earpiece, to go on my left so I could concentrate better. The noise was incredible, wow. and I, I didn't want to turn up the, the radio too much so that they could overhear the entire the entire feed and the director and the producer when I was on the air. But it was the noise that I remember and. He played nearly a flawless round of golf. It was, it was just fantastic to watch all of that unfold. And I remember getting back to the room that night. And I, that was my first open. It's probably not going to get much better than that. And and did it get any better? Are there when you look back over the last what has it been uh, nine or eleven years since then? Yeah, uh, I. Um, are there any other? Yeah, oh yeah, I mean it, it. It there were definitely some highlights, and I will tell you one that didn't even come to fruition. Uh, was following David Duvall at Beth Page on Monday when he was, uh, you know, he had every opportunity to have won that U.S. Open, uh, and that was that was pretty special to see a guy that had, you know, was clawing himself out of the depths. Uh, that was that was amazingly terrific. And then again, the noise too at the Open Championship in, in 13. Uh, I was out with Lee Westwood in the final pairing. And Mickelson was making the move a couple, three groups ahead. And the noise there, uh, Westwood had said, as Caddy had said to me, on the 15th green, said, oh, we still got a chance. we got, we got plenty of time. We just need to make a couple. We need to make this one right here. And then Mickelson made the putt at 17, and the place went nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it's the noise. <laughs> I think that's a common denominator there. Well, I, other than a, a tiger roar, I imagine – there's, there's nothing really that compares to a Mickelson, a Mickelson roar. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I remember going to my the first Masters uh, was in '87, 
and you know, Nicholas was was defending and was making a move on Sunday, and you could tell it was it was him on the golf course. You would you would hear announcers talk about it for years. You know, that's a Nicholas roar, that's a Sunday roar, that's this, that, and the other, and that's when I understood that it was different. We all love to watch sports on TV, but it's too easy to fall into that routine. Make this the year you go see the NFL, live golf, or even the World Series. Now, when you buy tickets on the SeatGeek app and use our code GOLFING, you'll get a $20 rebate check. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. It's free and takes less than a minute to download. Then you search for your event, find a great deal, enter our code GOLFING, and when you complete your purchase... SeatGeek will send a $20 check to your house. It's that easy. SeatGeek is paying you to use their service. SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers online and shows you the best deals automatically. When you shop on SeatGeek, you're seeing virtually every ticket option available all on one page. They also have a feature called Deal Score. It ranks every ticket on the market with a value score and plots the best deals on a color-coded map of the venue. Finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless, easy, and safe. On SeatGeek, you can store your credit card, and once you find a ticket you want to buy, you can make that purchase with two quick taps of your phone. There's no faster way to buy tickets. So, to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code TALKING into the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. So I am a, I'm a pretty loyal American leader, so I'm going to say the Royals in six. Oof, that's the wrong answer, but ah! yeah, we're, we're, off, we're off to a rough start here. Speaking of the World Series, my colleagues Ted Keith and Steve Canella have baseball fans covered on their show, The Strike Zone. Go inside the 2015 World Series with expert views on the Royals and Mets, who are weirdly winners of the 1985 and 1986 World Series, respectively. The Strike Zone Podcast. Search for it on iTunes or visit si.com slash podcasts. And so, yeah, on, on, the, on the flip side of that, I mean, every, every announcer has a moment they would, they would like to have back. Um, I imagine yours came at the 2007 Solheim Cup. I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, that was where yeah. You, yeah, you were caught. Yeah, I, wish, I wish that hadn't gone over the air. Absolutely. Yeah, and just just to, I hate to do this, but to remind viewers that you you were caught saying, uh, referring to the uh, U.S. team as choking freaking dogs, which I'm sure you cringe uh, yeah. hearing today. I mean, what what did you learn from that experience? Well, um, from a from a very personal experience, I, I learned that. Sometimes people who you thought would have your back don't, and sometimes people that had your back you never would have imagined they had your back. Hmm. So that, that I, I definitely learned. Um, but I, I also learned the process of delivery that night because it was, and, and I understand why the U.S. team was as upset as they were because it was told to them that I had dropped the F-bomb on the air I had been fired, and Golf Channel had been taken off the air. Wow. Uh, we're 0 for 3 there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when that sort of information is passed along, then it becomes understandable when I reach out to them that night that they tell me we never want to speak to you again. So I, 
I understand. Uh, I don't, you know, there's, there's still a couple of players who don't, won't speak to me, but uh, I think when, the, when the truth was out and the mechanics of what happened were understood, I think there was a greater understanding. Um, painful. Absolutely. <laughs> really painful. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, when you look back, you mentioned a little bit earlier, you look back at your own career, playing career, uh, 17 wins, two major titles, uh, and, and a buzzsaw at the Solheim Cup, and you're, you're about as good as they came. Did, did, do, you, do you think you overachieved or underachieved or somewhere between? I think there's a little of both. Um, I don't think I had a ton of raw talent. I mean, I, I obviously, you know, with my dad's baseball DNA, uh, I'm, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a decent athlete. So in that way, maybe I overachieved a little bit. I mean, I certainly didn't have a perfect pitch or golf swing, but I worked harder than just about anybody I, 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 I could recall. Um, and in some ways, I think I, I underachieved. I mean, I had a – I was pretty bad for the second half of my year in playoffs. I was just – I was horrible. So in that sense, I, I probably didn't get the job done. Uh, but why, why do you think that was the case? Why, why did you struggle so much? I don't, I don't know. That was bad. I mean, I remember going back to, to 93. I think I, I lost two five-bowl playoffs in the span of a month. And I don't, I don't think it got much better from there. <laughs> I was pretty good to start. And, and maybe, I, maybe I wasn't aggressive enough. Uh, if I had to look at one thing, I'm probably not aggressive enough waiting for somebody else to make the mistake instead of just taking it right by the neck. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in that, that aspect, um, I probably un, underachieved what I should have, um, just because I was, I was in the position to get it done and didn't. And, and you strike me as somebody who, who, who would have loved to have a U.S. Women's Open on her resume. Um, Absolutely. And you, and you came awfully close. I think you had five years in a row, you finished in the top five, um, yeah, I, from 88 I, to 92. Does that, does that, does that still eat at you? A little bit, uh, but I but I understand why. Um, you know, I, I I put so much emphasis on that that championship that it was it was almost no wonder that I didn't win. I I put so much emphasis on it, and that was always the time of the year that if you look over my career, I didn't play particularly great in the second half of the year because I burned so much energy in the first and being prepared for the season to start uh, that I that was about the last week every year that I was super effective. I didn't have a super strong second half of the season for, for most of my, most of my career, but I, I definitely um, put too much pressure on myself at the open wanting it too badly. Like Phil Mickelson can probably relate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, just shifting quickly to the men's game uh, t today. Uh, Hank Haney said this week, he thought, Jason Day probably was the best player of, of the uh, the so-called big three, or certainly mm. has the most talent. It's just taken him a little longer to figure out how to win or how to win majors anyway. Uh, where do you come down on that? Which which of those three or four guys who are um, at the top of the game now do you, do you well, think has the most staying power? Um, I think from a groundedness, from a grittiness, um, I would be hard-pressed not to pick Jordan Spieth. Uh, he doesn't blow you away in any 
any one area as you know as far as ball striking goes. Um, terrific short putter, clutch putter. But I, I think there's a groundedness, there's a wholeness to him that that's um, that's built for the long haul. Jason Day, I think, is more of a Oh, I'm trying to find the words I used at the, the Open Championship. He was playing with Louis Oosthuizen in the first two days in Tiger. And, um, you know, there's a hitter of the golf ball uh, that I, I would say Jason Day is. Uh, whereas a guy like Louis Oosthuizen is more of a swinger of the golf club. And I, and I think there's um, there's a lot to be said for that, the way the golf courses are set up today. If, if So many are bombers paradises, and he has definitely figured it out. Strong enough, long enough, um, doesn't have to be super straight because he hits it so gosh darn far. And and I do think him winning the PGA Championship this year has, we've already seen what doors it could open for him uh, and the possibilities that I think he realizes are now reality. So I would put him, I don't know, this is really hard. It's 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 good because there are three such great players and, and McElroy yeah. is somewhere in between because he has the ability to, to, to shape the golf ball and he's such an unbelievable athlete that he can hit those shots that make an announcer look foolish. He really can. And there's still a, um, there's a jovial fun side of him. Yeah. And when you're out walking, that's, that's very cool. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of burnout down the road. So there's, I, I think there's, there's three very different players with a lot of staying power. It's amazing that he McElroy has, uh, I mean, by no means has he become an afterthought, but given how explosive yeah. Spieth and uh, and Day were in the second half of last year, uh, you know, it's it's amazing that he, he almost gets mentioned third now. among Yeah, those three. I mean, and you I mean, think about two weeks prior to the Open Championship, it was all about McElroy going in there head-to-head with Spieth. And in one kick of a football, a soccer ball, Right. That that changed the whole conversation for the rest of the season changed. Uh, I don't I don't think that will be certainly be the case for 20, 2016 and beyond. But literally on one Saturday afternoon that changed. And do you, I, I mean you would see him bouncing back. I mean to me he's a he's a hot and cold kind of guy. He he can be great for a year and then it yeah. seems like we don't hear from him for a while and then all of a sudden he wins two more majors. I don't even think it's for a year, Alan. I think it's a guy that'll disappear for four or five tournaments and not just not be really terrific. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. Um, and that, that's been kind of the, the years he's had the last few years, um, you know, go in and have a, have a great stretch. And then all of a sudden, well, it's not so good. I'm uh, still working on a little of this and that. And then all of a sudden he comes firing right back again. Yeah. Uh, I, I think people who said, Oh my goodness, what's golf going to do without Tiger Woods? Um, golf's going to be just fine. I think there's no doubt. And, and, you know, before we go, I wanted to ask you, I know you spent, uh, you mentioned that you've been on the PGA board of directors now for the last three years, mm-hmm. spent a lot of time working on junior golf in particular. What, from that, from those, that experience in those years, uh, cause we've heard so much doom and gloom about golf over the last few years, but <laughs> you've seen it at that, at the junior level, the grass, grassroots level, uh, you know, give, give us a reason to be optimistic about, about the future of the game from, well, from what you've experienced. I want you to watch PGA Junior League when it is put on television, the finals, be on television uh, from Disney in about four weeks, not even. they got to rip the kids away from the roller coasters to play golf? How about that? Good luck with that. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that was 30,000 children that started that program this year. And it's only, you know, it's less than five years old. 
So we're, we're talking about following the, the path of Little League, which it's, which it's really modeled after. And then you look at this, the success of drive, chip, and putt. And you look at overall numbers for the year, 6.6% increase in junior golf this year. I mean, we missed, and I said this yesterday when I was at a, at a function in, in St. Louis, is, you know, we missed an entire generation thinking that Tiger Woods was going to pick up the entire game of golf, put it on his shoulders, and send it to someplace it's never been before. That generation now has their own children, and golf is cool for them. They have players. Like they've seen what Tiger did. And they've got people like Jordan Spieth and Jason Day and, and Rory McIlroy and Ricky Fowler. And they do think they're cool. And, and the, you know, the same for the girls. You've got Lydia Coe and you've got Stacey Lewis and Michelle Wee and, and Jessica Corda and all these players that have made golf cool for these kids. And I think we're, we're going to get that generation back because of their kids. You know what I love about the the junior league that the uh, it's a team it's a team event yes. and it, it not only do the kids get out there there's there's one in my at the Muni in my town and mm-hmm. you know you see the kids out there in jerseys yeah. uh, they feel like they're playing for a team because they are playing for a team it sort of takes a little bit of the pressure off in a you know individual sense that you usually feel in golf which I think is a good thing at, at you know when you're at that age that's right what are the other things that they're doing at that age they're playing on a soccer team a lacrosse team football team whatever it might be it's all about about the team and i think for so long golf thought it was different from every other sport it's not people still like to be part of a team and that's what this program really has has captured and now you know a lot of these programs are being run with the thought that let's get the parents involved too because they don't want to be sitting on the sidelines. So if I've got junior league on this nine holes, why don't I have a, a, a something for the parents on the other while the kids are out playing? You know, even if it's just an hour. Right. Uh, it, so I, I think I, I think there's there's a lot more to this junior league than just the kids. I think there's the potential to get that lost generation back, and that's I think the big win of it. That is a nice cheery note to end on. <laughs> there, but we i can't wait to hear you next year it will uh tory pines be your your first event it will saturday of tory pines all right so we will tune in uh dotty pepper will make her cbs debut at uh tory pines uh next year thanks, thanks so Donald. much Dottie. thanks for tuning in to the golf.com podcast you can subscribe on itunes or at si.com slash podcasts you can tweet me at at allen underscore basketball or my co-host, Alan Shipnuck, at at Alan Shipnuck, to let us know what you think about the show, or to suggest any guests you might want to hear on an upcoming episode. For Alan Shipnuck, I'm Alan Bastable. Thanks for listening to the Golf.com podcast.